Yay. So, um, I'm a little nervous. Because, because um, it's interesting. I, I prayed and pray, I prayed so much for you guys. And I just prayed, God, show us which journeys. And um, I love the Word of God, and my, um, I, I was studying in one room, the guest room, which has a queen-size bed, and then pretty soon it had too many notes, so I had to move into another bedroom to study, because it was distracting me. And then in that room, I had too, too many notes. And it was like, this is... This is um, we're doing the one-year Bible for our women's Bible study. And all the women are reading along every day. And then the teacher picks one section of one day's reading, either the New Testament or Old Testament. And we do what we call as a bus stop. And so uh, we take that section and we dive in just like we did today. And we have our discussion groups. And the girls dig out treasure and they write three pages of notes. And... Um, but this is my problem. When, I, when it's my turn to teach, I feel like there's seven children that come to my desk. Pick me. No, pick me. I want you to, I want you to talk about me, the story. They're so fascinating. And so um, Ruth showed up at my desk. Pick me. Pick me. Tell my story. I'm on a big journey. Oh, yes, you are, but it's a very complicated story and uh, they you know what they say about Ruth it's only a hundred verses but you can teach a thousand messages four little chapters and if you have never dove into Ruth you're missing a treasure chest absolutely so I um, I dove in and the more I dug, the more I said, oh, no, oh, no, this is a weekend. Lock the doors. Do not let the women go home. <laughs> and so I'm going to try to fit one of the sections of her story in this small unit before, your, before lunch. You don't want to eat till three, right? <laughs> it's like wrestling a bear and trying to get a bear to fit into a small cubicle, which they usually do not like to do. So, pray for me. Lord, we pray that as we travel this little road with this little girl, that, God, we would just delight in the treasures and the lessons and the examples and the warnings. In Jesus' name. And they all said... Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Okay. The book of Ruth, please turn to it if you will. And remember, I'm the tour guide. And you must discover these treasures for yourself. Go there. See there. Look deeply at these moments. Be some of the characters. And I love that when you open the word of God, that it's living and powerful, that God says, welcome to my world. And then because it's a living story, and did you know that the Bible is 75% stories? A lot of people think it's 75% rules and regulation. That's really not true at all. 75% stories. Because... A picture's worth a thousand words. And these things are given as our examples so that we can step in these places and go along. So the book of Ruth, these little hundred verses, is about journeys. Oh, so many, so many. It's about running away. Yes, it is. It's about the journey of grief and loss the valley of the shadow of death, where I will fear no evil. It's about coming home. It's about taking baby steps. 
It's about how God sets up divine appointments and how we, trust him, how we can choose to trust him or not. When we choose to do the right thing, the kind thing, the godly thing, that's when we arrive at our divine destiny. Absolutely. I love GPSs. I have one on my phone now. And she talks to me. Yep. Tells me where to turn. She tells me where to go. She takes me, tells me how long it will take to get there. But when I take a wrong turn, she says, recalculating. <laughs> recalculating. <laughs> recalculating. And then she gives me the U-turn. And tells me where to U-turn so I can get back on course. And if I, re if I choose to not do that and I take another turn that's a wrong turn, she'll do it again, recalculating, recalculating, because she has one thing in mind, <laughs> getting me where I belong. That's what she wants to do. And so we will look at this story in just that, that mode of, um, of view. This is our GPS story for Naomi. And we'll start with her. If you've turned to Ruth, it's right after the book of Judges which is a sorry book. <laughs> the book of Judges tells a 400-year history of the nation of Israel after they had entered the promised land. And the book of Ruth takes place in the days of the judges. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So, little background history is that the time of the judges was dark time, a dark time in history. And in my Bible, the book of Ruth is on one side and the end of the book of Judges is on the other side of the page. And the book of Ju Judges ends with this sorry statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's, that's a formula for trouble. Absolutely it is. And here was Elimelech. And he had a great name. He had the name, my God is king. Great name. Wish he had a stepped into it. And Naomi, her name was Pleasant Thing. Isn't that sweet? Bethlehem was called the house of bread, and Judah was the house of praise. Such a great setup on this side of the page it was. But here in their story, there comes a fa famine, a famine in the land, and they ran away from home. Bethlehem was their home. So let's back up and let's look at the pieces of this story. Naomi was a direct descendant of a man named Abraham. Now, put a, put a bookmark or something in your book of Ruth and turn now to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, this year, Abraham was definitely my hero. Uh, in the one-year Bible, you read his story. You, you meet him on January 5th in your one-year Bible. And I love that because there he is waiting to tell his story right there in January 5th. So turn to Genesis chapter 12 if you have an ordinary Bible. <laughs> and I think I'll turn in my one-year. Because since I was with you, um, I bought colored markers. Yes, and I have this little system now. This is how my one-year Bible looks. 
and um, I just love to journey. And I buy a one-year Bible every single year because it's my diary. It's my God story. It, I just dive in. I mark it up. I make notes. I put post notes. I just love it. It's better than going to Disneyland. Far better. And on January 5th, we met our friend Abraham. And it, when we meet him, it tells about him in verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haram, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and they together set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. And when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And the Lord said to Abraham, well, Abram then, leave, leave your people, your country, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I love that part of his story. Not just that God would bless him, that his life would be a blessing. And I testify it is to me. I have learned so much from this man, this great man of faith. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4 is a defining moment. And I love every verse that starts out with the word so. So Abram left. He left. He did just as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife and his nephew Lot, all of his possessions, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. I love his story. It's a great adventure. It's a great journey. I love that he started out when he was 75. I love that part. Don't you love that part? You know, a lot of people think, well, I, I'm, I'm just too old. I've just settled too, for too much. I'm just, I can't do anything. You know, people tell me that when they're 30. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. When I was a baby Christian, baby Christian, weeks old in the Lord, I remember I went to this church and there was a, there was, it was a small church. There was probably 30 people there that night. And um, I, I, my husband and I were ministering to, no, I was maybe six months old in the Lord. And my husband and I, um, he pastored a Christian house and we would take runaways. We would take hitchhikers and runaways. It was in the 1960s. And um, so we had this whole parcel of, of, you know, one-week-old one Christians, you know, fresh out of the world. You know, if they had tattoos, they didn't have tattoos then, really, but, oh, long hair and raggedy jeans, and we marched into this church, and now there was more of us than them. And, um, and he could tell that we were all new in the Lord. And this, this one man stood up. And he was shaking on his cane. And he had really thin skin. He must have been close to 100. I mean, that, he was just so frail. But his eyes were as crystal clear as eagles. And he had tears in his eyes. And he looked at us. And he said, he said I've been walking with Jesus for over 80 years. And then he put up his finger. And he said, I, I want to tell you that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And, you know, starting out in that journey with, with the Lord, still so young, I didn't know where that was where would take me. And at that moment, that man, in that wee little moment, gave me a picture. It was glorious. It was just glorious. And I didn't know his story, but I knew I want what he has. Abram, 75, God said, leave now. Everything you've ever known, 
Leave your family. Leave this country. It's not good for you. They're not right here. I'm going to set a new course for you. And I'd be saying, and so exactly where is that? What, what, how long is it going to take? And, you know, and can we take a U-Haul or what? But this compelling word to the land that I will show you. You know, the Christian life is a walk, step by step, trusting him in the day. Making a, 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 making a, a decision to follow Christ isn't one big ta-da, now I've made the decision and it's set. No, it's really in the little moments, step by step, where he will show you. And the same formula is your formula, absolutely. And some people think at a certain age, well, I'm done, I'm just going to ride, I'm going to coast to the finish line or whatever. And um, they think it's too late to change. They, they think it's too late to step out of the boat and have God use them. And um, I know one lady was telling me this, this one day, and she was crying and just thought she'd made so many mistakes in her life. And she said, oh, it's too late, Debbie. And I said, do you have a mirror? She said, yeah, I do. She said, take that mirror out. So she took it out, and I said, I want you to go like this. <gasps> I said, if there's... There's fog on the mirror. It's not too late. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to Abram. So he did. He trusted God. He trusted God and he walked it out. And God gave him great promises. And that was, that was Naomi's heritage. She was of the line of Abraham. And then one of his descendants was Judah, through which would come not only David and Solomon, but Jesus. She was right in the middle of that. What a great heritage she, she had. And her people had been, been, been in slavery in Egypt. And God had seen their misery and sent a deliverer. And Moses had stood before the, the Red Sea. And I love that moment. I love Moses' moments. If you're not reading your Bible, oh my goodness, you're missing drama. And he was standing in front of the Red Sea. And now the Egypt's, Egyptians had decided to chase him down and drag him back. And he was standing there. And I, I, like, ha ah, God, what? You know, can you ever think what that would feel like? And God said again to him, what do you have in your hand? And Moses, I got a stick. <laughs> and God said, lift that stick over the Red Sea. Okay. <laughs> and it parted. Is that the weirdest story ever? <laughs> That's our God. As simple as that. What do you have in your hand? Where are you standing? It's God that parted the Red Sea, not Moses or his arm or his stick. But because Moses said yes, he got to be on the front lines. Because Abraham said yes, he got to be on the front lines and see God do amazing things. And then they were delivered into the land, the promised land. And that's where this family lived. They lived in the land of bread. But God had, had, had also laid out the path. He had laid out before them a path of obedience. In that land, there were Boundaries, boundaries, just like my traffic school. So there's, there's a way to drive and there's a way not to drive. If you drive right, you're safer and life is good for everybody. If not, there's crashes. God laid the very same thing out in the word of God. And right now in the one-year Bible, we're reading Deuteronomy. It is the most glorious book, the most amazing book. And in Leviticus, if you've never read the book of Leviticus, I, I feel sorry for you. It's just amazing. 
And people think, oh, I would never think, wake up like, I'm going to read Leviticus today. <laughs> no, in the book of Leviticus, there are so many things that God lays out that if a society ever really did that, it would be amazing. You know what he commanded? He commanded that every seventh year, you take the whole year off. <laughs> oh, God, you're so cruel. You're so cruel to us. A whole year off. Can you, can you just imagine what family life would be if, if really husbands, daddies, your sister took the day off, a whole year off. I mean, we don't even sometimes take a day off. You would have long dinners. You would sit on the porch. You'd talk to the neighbors. You'd know your neighbors. It would be an amazing way, way to live. And in their, in their society, that when they harvested their fields, they weren't to harvest the outside edges of their apple fields or their grape orchards, so that if a widow was having a hard time, or a single mom, or a stranger to town, they didn't have to knock on somebody's door and say, excuse me, um, do you have any extra food? It was written in their society that, that that little single mom could just go right up with her kids and pick a bucket of apples, and they'd never go hungry. That was the kind of rules, rule after rule after rule after rule. You know, and even that rule, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, people mock that. Oh, cruel God. You know what that rule was all about? Because human nature is, if you throw a rock and you pluck out, and you, my eye is ruined, you know what? I want more than your eye. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to go the, 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 the full measure. That's just human nature. People get carried away. And God's regulation said, no, no. Here in this society, we be not carried away. We're just going to be fair and right all the way down the line. There's not going to be cruelty. That's the way it was in the nation of Israel. Or should have been. Should have been. Now, let's follow them in their story. I've got too much going on over here. Do you see what I mean? I was nervous. And so a famine came, and they left. They left. And I just want to give one more piece of information about God's regulations. He said that if his people obeyed his commandments, his regulations, these wonderful ways to live, that he would make the heavens open their storehouses and it would rain down. But then he said, if not, if not, I'm going to make the heavens like iron and your ground hard as a rock. You won't have the blessing. You won't have the crops. And so here, there was a famine, which often happened in the book of Judges. Why? Because every man did what was right in his own eyes. They were selfish. They drifted. They drifted into false religions. And so God was sending a wake-up call to them. And so they left, and they moved to Moab. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, in verse 3, died. And she was left and her sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there for about ten years. Then both Malion and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the city had that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. 
Therefore, she went out from the place where she was. If you underline words, please underline that. She went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. We've now just been introduced to two gals, and one of them is, Na- is, is, is Ruth. And this little gal, Naomi had the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. Well, Ruth had a great-great-great-great-grandfather also. And he was Lot. Oh, really? Okay, remember Abraham, he left his country and his people. The Ur of the Chaldees was a very sophisticated land, but it was corrupt, it was decadent. And so God sent them on the journey. God called Abraham, and then Lot followed Abraham. And in that journey, Abraham built many altars to God and called upon the name of the Lord. And in that journey, we never see, we never see Lot calling upon the name of the Lord. And as they traveled along, and at that time, it appears that Lot didn't have a wife, although Abraham did, there came a moment in time in their travels when they just had a lot of stuff. God was blessing, God was blessing, and both of them had big herds. And there was this dispute over over the wells to water these herds. And Abraham went to Lot and said, let's not let there be a dispute between you and I. And he said, you choose Lot. You choose Lot. What do you want? You choose first, although Abraham was the elder. He was the one that should have chose. It was his journey. He should have chose. It was one of those magnanimous moments. And then it said, the fateful words, Lot chose for himself. He did. He looked down at the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw that it was well watered, and that the, the pasture land down there was good. And he said, I'll choose that. And in his fateful story, he moved close to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the next thing we know, he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was part of the city. He was in it. You know, it's been said that if God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have destroyed Lot. Down there when we meet them later, his girls were engaged to Sodomites, to Gomorrahites, or whatever they called them then. They were unequally yoked. And Lot's wife, which he must have met there, she didn't want to leave. It was a sorry mess. But God had sent the warning, and he sent his angels, and, and, and they escaped Lot survived with his two daughters, and they thought it was the end of the world, so they got their their father drunk, and they had two children. And Moab was one of them. That was Ruth's heritage. Her great-great-great-great-grandfather was Lot. Such different, diverging paths. So now, with that historical background, let me tell you about Bethlehem in relation to Moab. Actually, when they left Bethlehem, it was a downhill journey. It's only 20 to 30 miles. Can you imagine? But it was all downhill. And to get to Moab, not only did they come down, but they had to recross to the Jordan. Moab was on the other side of the Jordan. Bethlehem was on the... promised land so close but so far away and because Bethlehem was higher they could look down and actually see Moab and Moab could actually look up and see Bethlehem now it's this part of the story that I did way too much wandering I walked around in Naomi's eyes and in her little soul And wondered like us women sometimes wonder. 
you know, in the cities in those days that were hard to get to, an uphill journey. It must have taken three days to get down to Moab, but it took seven to ten days to travel back up because it was all uphill. Well, in uphill cities, it's very hard for the trinket sellers and the merchants to bring their wares up. So quite frankly, up there was probably a simpler life. You know, not as nice as stores, no coals, <laughs> no sales at coals and all of that. And I thought of Naomi, I, I wondered whose idea was that? Did she look down and think, I think the shopping's better there. But then I put my feet in Ruth's feet. Shemosh was the god of the Moabites. And Shemosh required child sacrifice. The children were actually burned alive on the altar of Shemosh. Any god that would require that is a cruel God. And in a cruel system like that, it's women and children that suffer. It's women and children that that hits home with. It's will, women and children that are devalued. And Ruth, knowing what was going on in her city, yeah, the shopping was good, but home life wasn't. Maybe she stood at the bottom of that hill and she looked up and she wondered, I wonder what's going on up there. I heard that there's no sexual abuse because God forbids it. I heard that there's no alcoholism and men beating their wives. I heard that life is a lot different up there because God is king. And then in comes Naomi and her husband and her two sons. And I wondered if they moved into the apartment door, right next door to Ruth. And then they met and she married one of the sons. It's an interesting little story that goes on here. But then tragedy struck. And some people think, well, well, was God being mean to them? Was he being the traffic cop in the sky? Was he punishing them? Well, we're not given all the details of why first husband died and then the two sons. But we do know that in the nation of Israel, they, had a, they not only had rules about, about how you reap your harvest, but they also had interesting rules like wash your hands which no other nation on the face of the earth washed their hands because it was long before microscopes. And so people would normally just do dirty things or touch dead bodies and then cook dinner <laughs> because they didn't know any different. Now, in the nation of Israel, they were required to wash their hands after they touched dead things, after they, you know, went to the restroom, after they did lots of things, they had to wash their hands. It was required. And you know what? They had no idea why. They had no idea why. And obedience to God is sometimes like that. Just make a little mo memo on the side of your notebook. Sometimes you have no idea why God requires something. But in such a system where sanitary measures were not required, maybe these boys, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, just got sick. One of them was, was it appears, sick all the time. And then they died. Whatever the reason, it was now time that Naomi heard that, that voice in the sky recalculating recalculating. Now time to make a U-turn. As I look at this story, I really parallel it with the uh, prodigal, the story of the prodigal. Turn now to Luke 15. Luke 15. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 15. Mm -hmm. And this is a fascinating story, too. In this story, we meet a father and a son. Verse 11. And Jesus is telling this story. It's all red letter. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods which falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now after many days, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed, journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Wow. There's a lot of parallels here, isn't there, between these two stories. Then... He went, this prodigal son, went and joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And today we're going to have a party because this boy has come home. Well, as we look at the first part of the story, kind of reminds us of Elimelech and Naomi's journey. First he said, give me. Give me what I want. I want what I want, and I'm going to take what I have. And so they took what they had. You know, and, and if you're a mother this morning, the kids that you have, do you think they're yours? They're not. They're a gift from God, but they're only alone. And this son, he, he thought it was all due him. And after he got what he wanted, he took it to a far country. He left, and he got as far away as he could. And he wasted his possessions. Prodigal living is a wasted life. And so we see that this is the description that Jesus gives of the prodigal. And you know what? Most of us don't need the long version. Most of us don't. Either we've lived it or we have one. And both sides of the equation hurt. They cause great pain. They cause great trouble. But here in this story, there was a day that it dawned upon him <laughs> that he was not better off. He was not better off running away from home. And you know, some of you, some of you, you know, when there's trouble, when there's trouble, we either fight or flight. And some of you are runners. You know who you are. And that doesn't necessarily mean you, you leave physically some of you have left, but your body's still here. And that's, 
that's a death to that too. Hope you know that. But they left. Both of them left. Left their God. Left him behind. Moved into, like for Naomi and Lilimelech, they took their, their two boys. Life is better down there. Looks like the economy's good. We'll make a decision on that first. Took their sons out of youth group. The, took their sons out of church. Took their sons and themselves out of the family of God. And I'm telling you, when tragedy hits, grief is a hard thing to go through. And you need the family of God. Can somebody say amen? Amen, you do. And we need to circle the wagons. We do. We need to cluster. We need to be there for each other. It's such an important thing of the, of the family of God. Going back to Naomi, to her story. I'm sorry I'm having you flip back and forth. But there was a day she said, I'm going home. And she told her daughter-in-law and... and Therefore she went to return to the land. And Naomi said to her two daughters, Go back to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of your husband. Get married again, she said. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said, Surely we'll return to you, to you with you, to your people. But Naomi said, go back, daughters. Why will you go with me? I don't have more sons to give you. I'm too old. Would you, if I had another child, would you wait for him? Would you restrain yourselves from, from getting married? Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha, Orpha, kissed her mother-in-law and started a talk show. <laughs> Oprah. But Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. There I'll be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts us. So Naomi just said, okay, come on. And they went back to Bethlehem. I love verse 19. And the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And be aware, instead of Naomi just going by herself, God had given her a companion. Two are better than one. And it's interesting, it's interesting that all that time that Naomi was living in the lowlands, living in that place of compromise, we don't see any big affirmation from Ruth. I want your God to be my God. It's only when Naomi said, I'm going back home. I'm going back to God. I'm going back to his people. I'm going to Bethlehem. And Ruth said, I want that. I want that. That's worth leaving for. And I'm going to. It's an awesome moment. And as they went back to Bethlehem, it happened as they came that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me? And the Lord Almighty has afflicted me. So they returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley host, ha harvest. 
in this moment. In this moment. I want to parallel this with the prodigal. And put your feet in the father's shoes. I'm going to ask you questions because that's how we dig for the treasures in the word of God. What was the father waiting for? As he waited for his son to come back, what was he waiting for? What was God the father waiting for? To punish her? What was he waiting for? An apology? Was he waiting to show that he was right? The father was right? And the son, the prodigal, was wrong? Was he waiting for his money back? Did he want a servant? Did he want to shame him? Did he want revenge? The story of the prodigal son is extremely important to us. We have to know this story for our sakes and for the sake of others. What did God want? What did God want with Naomi? This, the father of the prodigal son didn't want any of those things. What did he want? He wanted the boy. He wanted the boy. That's all he wanted. When that boy came back, he was a mess. He was a raggedy mess. The father pushed all that aside and ran to him. The father wanted the boy. When we're prodigals, and sometimes we do run away. Sometimes we put a distance. Sometimes we hide our head and, and depression can be running away. It's anger turned inward. Sometimes we run away. What does he want from you? He wants you. That's what he wants. In this scene, in this scene, when they came back to town, the city was excited. And really the, the, the Hebrew word here doesn't mean excited. We're so excited to see you. It means they were all in an uproar. Who is this? Boy, is that Naomi? She used to be called Pleasant. We don't recognize her, hardly. So it was a mixed, kind of mixed reviews. And I used to think it was just excited, like, yay, Naomi's back. And you know what? If I was writing the Bible, I'd just leave it like that. Because that's the way it should be with the people of God. And I just want to tell you one story, and then I'm going to have you write your lessons. There was a girl that grew up in our church. She was a darling, cute thing. And she loved to dance. She was such a ballet. She was just had this long, flowy hair and just this winsome personality and this wonderful family. But she loved dancing, loved it. And she went to our Christian school. She, as soon as she graduated, she was out of there. She was way out of there, and she went right to the world, to the world of dance, and she started dancing, but good jobs were hard to get, and pretty soon she was dancing cheap places, and then she was dancing in the worst places ever. It was horrible. And her mother and I would go to the beach, and we would cry, and we'd pray over her, and she was out there for four years sometimes living on the streets, selling sex for drugs. It was horrible. And then we had a retreat. It was just like this. And I was sharing something just like this. And I saw her walk in the side door just like there. And she just poked her face in the door and saw her mom and walked in that room. And her mom was sitting right there. And she just knelt by her mom and started weeping. And then I saw the most glorious thing that I have ever seen among my women, my girls of my church. One by one, across the sanctuary, women got out of their seats. And they went over, and they just surrounded her. 
and cried her back in. It was glorious. It was glorious. And that little gal is married to the most godly man and has the most adorable two sons that you have ever seen. And that's what God's journey is for you. He knows the plans that he has for you. Write down three things that you learn. Somebody share what you learned. Yes, ma'am. Welcome home. I missed you. Absolutely. Awesome lesson. Somebody else? Yes. Voila. There he is. Yes. Yeah, that was heartfelt. Somebody else here. Yes. Yep. Yeah, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are not of the Father. Yes, yes. God's love is powerful. You should have seen her face. I mean, she just was the hand language and everything. Yes. Amen. Amen. And you know what? I love the, the prodigal son story. I think the father's eyes scan the horizon like every day. Is he coming yet? Is he coming yet? Right over here, somebody. Yes. one of my favorite subjects. I love redemption. It's an awesome story. And I know that Gail's doing the Ruth study. And uh, my friend Lenya Heise wrote it. It's a fabulous study. So some of you, if you don't join the study, at least read through the book. Oh my goodness. And write pages, pages. Now break into groups of five or six and share what you learn. We have about seven or eight minutes we'll take. So turn quick, five or six, no twosies and no threesies. Share what you learn. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh boy, I'd like to give you like 20 more minutes. But now we have lunch. Here's the assignment. At lunch, turn to somebody, sit next to them and say, so what did you learn? And just share, you know, and, and because we, we so seldom do that and, and get into real spiritual conversations, so it'll be exciting, especially if it's somebody you, you've never talked to before. You might go, oh, I like you a lot. That's awesome. So who knows? Okay, and so, yeah, Barbara's going to come and dismiss us.